All right. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Female Footballers Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray, and I'm the founder and director of Female Footballers and your host. We're thrilled today to have our second guest on the podcast. Our theme for today's episode is all about representation. Our guest is someone who represents many roles that reflect the type of female and athlete that we discussed here. She's a former D1 player, a member of the LGBTQ community, a female soccer coach, and a female entrepreneur. Her mindset has played a large role in helping to shape her success and identity in these roles that she represents. So without further ado, please welcome to our podcast, Kim Brady. Hi, Cassie. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. So, so that's, yeah, go for it. That's a lot to unpack, right? After yeah, that. <laughs> it's like, wow. Um, sometimes it's weird to take these different pieces. Like I'm just Kim, like you know me as Kim. And then I forget that there are a lot of things that you don't know about me, right? Or, you know, cause we met as adults, we met at an alumni function. We didn't meet when we were competing against each other because we're, our age difference is different. And I think, you know, I've been playing soccer since I was a little kid and it was, they, my parents put my brother in soccer and he hated every second of it. And I was super, super hyper and they just needed to figure out what in the world they were going to do with me. And, and so one day I ran on a soccer field and my brother was playing and tried to get the soccer ball. <laughs> and the coach was like, oh, you know, get her, get her off the field. And my mom was horrified and they gave me a soccer ball on the side. And I just fell in love with the game when I was a little kid. And so my parents were like, we don't know anything about soccer. There's this thing called ASO. Let's put her in that. Let's keep her busy. And I just fell in love with the game. And it was it was the only thing that made me feel like I was, sport was the only thing that made me feel like I was a part of something. So that being first picked first for the team, I was picked first for the team for all the boys sports. So from football to basketball, soccer, et cetera, in elementary school and stuff like that. And I was a really good student. So I loved school and then I played sports, but I was that really awkward, super shy kid. And so the only avenue that I could like express myself was through sports. So it was an identity. And I thought a lot about this. Like when I thought about this last night, I was like, what are you and I going to chat about today? Because I had a, I was on a podcast yesterday and we were talking about athletic identity and whether you take me out of the field or off of the field, I still have an athletic mindset. Being an athlete literally permeates my entire life. Soccer is the one thing that has been with me since I was a little girl. And it was there before I knew that I was gay, right? It was there, it supported me through when I came out, uh, letting people know that I was gay. And the first person that I had fallen in love with was one of my teammates on the state team. So going through that process and coming out, and I can share a little bit with you if you'd like to know that story. Absolutely, but, please um, do, yeah. So, you know, when, when, I was, when I was about eight or nine, I realized I was different. My friendships were more aligned to girls, but I really got along with the boys because I was an athlete. So I could walk those two paths, but I didn't have crushes on boys the same way that my girlfriends did. So I started realizing that I was a little bit different when I was younger. And then when I was in high school, so I'm from Orange County, Southern California, Disneyland area. And one of my classmates came out, she was 13, I was 13. Um, and I made varsity as a freshman and I was the only freshman on varsity. I was tiny. I was shy. I started every game and I wouldn't talk. And my teammates were all seniors, basically. The majority of them were seniors. And, and I, was, I was a forward and my coach um, put me in as a sweeper. He converted me to a sweeper. 
And so I had to learn how to like tell people what to do in that position. And I refused because I was so afraid of my 17 and 18 year old teammates that I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to talk. And I wouldn't talk. So I was, people thought I was gregarious and people thought I was outgoing. But when you put me in that role, I was freaked out. And my teammates, Jenny and Tina, um, they basically said, look, there are two teammates who are straight. And because I, I know that I was going to talk to you about a 13 year old teammate. She's not a teammate. She was a classmate who played another sport. Um, my friends, just, they said, Kim, you're going to go to camp with me and Tina. And I was like, no, I'm not. My mom won't let me. She's full-blooded Italian. You know my mom. I'm not allowed to hang out with you guys outside of school. What are you talking about? I'm 13. They're not going to let me go with seniors to this camp. I come home and my mom's like, pack your bags. You're going to camp. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, what is it? She goes, I'm not going to tell you. They told me what it is and I know what it is and I feel comfortable with you going. And I was like, they're lying to you. <laughs> like, you don't know them. Like, what are you doing? And so I go to camp and come to find out it's this really cool weekend. Um, it's called the interdependence camp. And it, we, our school was really known for working with students who had developmental disabilities, emotional impairments, um, learning disabilities, et cetera. And this camp was to bring mainstream students and those students together and recognizing that all of us have abilities and all of us have disabilities. And so I went and did this ropes course, you know, you put me on this thing and I'm able to go do it in 20 seconds. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm an athlete, right? I can do this. <laughs> and then the next thing I know, there's a kid named Anthony who's 26, who functions at about a 13 year old. And he's been doing this camp for six years and he's never been able to complete the ropes course because of his cerebral palsy. And we witnessed him take two hours to complete the course for the first time in his life. Not a dry eye in the house, obviously. We're sobbing. We're so thrilled that he could do this, right? And we're just, his, he was awesome. And then we go back to camp later that night and we go and we sit around in a circle and you can tell where this is headed, right? Everybody goes around and everybody has to speak. And Anthony gets up and he's able to talk to everybody. He's like, this is awesome. This is the best time I've ever had at camp. Blah, 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 blah. And everybody has to get up and share something about camp that day. Comes around to me, crickets. I can't even say my name. I'm so petrified that I don't want the spotlight on me. Like being, like, you know how people are actors and they can be something else when they're on, on stage? I felt that way on the soccer field. So like who I was on the soccer field, I could be aggressive and fierce and all these things. But outside of that, I was painfully shy. I wouldn't talk. I was afraid of my own shadow. And so going through this process was probably the beginning part of mindset for me, like that, they, that I was taught, you have to find a way to work past your fear. And there's nothing that's going to harm you from standing up and saying your name. There's no one in this room that's going to hurt you. You're not going to be, there's nothing you could say that's wrong. And so it was my first opportunity. It took me, I think, about 20 minutes to stand up and say my name. And I was sobbing, like I couldn't do it. But to, to walk through that experience, to have your teammates trust you, to want them to, to help you get better. And I think that power of sport and soccer and female and female influences and mindset we're all tied together for me with that. And so when I come back from that experience, I am a changed person. I really was a changed person. And I became heavily involved in that camp. I became the vice president of that camp. I started working with di different students to help them through this process. And one of my classmates around that same time 
she came out and she was uh, was stereotypically butch okay and so i didn't relate to that because i wasn't and so but i was perfectly okay with her being gay i didn't quite understand what it meant but she had basically said you know i have a girlfriend i'm like okay cool whatever so it never phased me because it wasn't something that we talked about in school it wasn't something that my family talked about you don't talk about gay things back then right and so for me it was kind of like okay i'm used to being around people who are different look at the camp that i'm in look at the things so this classmate also had learning disabilities um you know how do i help students how do we work through these really difficult things and what does that mean and her dad really had a hard time with it so that was the first time i experienced that someone was being rejected for being gay and I didn't want that, right? And I wasn't attracted to her in any way. This wasn't anything about that. It was, and but I did tell my mom and she didn't want me to be friends with her. So I am hearing it's not okay to be gay. I don't know who I am. And I am in this position where I am like, who am I? Mm -hmm. so it's like I didn't have the words for it I know it's not acceptable because her dad's rejecting her and I just told my parents and my mom doesn't want me to be friends with her what's wrong with this and so internally I was like nothing's wrong with this but why do they not like it so I couldn't imagine that experience so fast forward to the state program I make the state team I'm on the U16 state team um we get go to the Olympic Training Center in Guadalajara, Mexico, and the U19 team was there. So Fowdy was on this team, that was that age group. So Fowdy was on there, and, and the first person that I fell in love with was on that team. So we were, all, there were five teams that went, three boys teams and two girls teams, and we all traveled to Mexico together. And so I was figuring out that I had a boyfriend who I cared about, who's a great guy from England, he was like my best friend we played soccer right but all of a sudden i started having feelings for a person and that was female and i couldn't wrap my head around what that meant and so it was really really scary it was like i could pass being straight because i had a boyfriend and he was really cool and everybody got along with him and i got along with him he's a great guy. He's one of my best friends to this day but where my heart was was with someone who was three years older than me and who i really was connected to on the older team and so my first experience of having those feelings was about age 15 and knowing there's no way in the world I can tell anybody about it. And then ironically, I figured out that she liked me too, but we couldn't discuss it. So she had a boyfriend and I had a boyfriend. She lived in San Diego and I lived up here. I would do anything to be around her, but I was 15. I couldn't drive. So she would drive up to see me, that kind of stuff. My mom could feel it. Moms know everything. So she didn't like the dynamic. So she would interrupt us if we were in my room alone, she would make it like angry. And I was like, but I couldn't put words on, I couldn't put words on being gay. I couldn't relate to the fact that the one person that I knew was gay was super butch and I didn't fit that. So I was like, I must not be that. I must just like this girl and I don't, I know it's not okay, something's wrong with me, okay? So I go through my whole high school career just being a student athlete, never having sex with my boyfriend, never wanting to have sex with my boyfriend. Thankfully, he was English and didn't pressure me to have sex with him. Um, and so it was literally kind of like I lived this very, 
I didn't drink, I didn't smoke. I was very much a goody two shoes, 4.0 student, student athlete, got all these awards, was a fantastic player, got all these awards in high school, all these league championships, all this stuff. And then the moment I go to college, I literally broke up with my boyfriend. I was like, okay, I'm out. We're not gonna be together because I'm going away to school. And the person that I had fallen in love with was going to St. Mary's. So I knew I was gonna be 30 minutes away from her. And I made the team. So we can talk about that process if you want to. But I made the team and the very first game was against Sonoma State and I scored the winning goal. And at halftime, I could hear her laughing. I couldn't see her. I hadn't seen her for several months, maybe even a year. And I knew she was sitting in the stands. I hadn't told her I made the team. She found out that I made the team and wanted to surprise me. And I, and you know that feeling like you can hear someone's laughter, you know that someone's there. There's that connection that you have when you're in love with someone. And I knew that she was there. And I, at halftime, I'm like looking around and, and, and I'm like, Jillian, where are you? I can hear you, but I don't know where you are. She walked right up to me. And I, she's like, how did you know I was here? It's like, I can hear you. Like I just, it was this connection, right? And so after the game, it was awesome because I won the game, right? Mm -hmm. cool thing for preseason right and after the game she starts talking to me and I was like I knew that she had been dating someone I had figured out at this point I'm 17 now I'd figured out at this point I think I'm gay I think I can say these words because it's to her that I feel it and I know she is but she doesn't feel that she can tell me so I said why are you moving out of so-and-so's house and she took my bike she rode her around for a minute and she got all nervous she came back and she goes Kim I didn't know how to tell you this, but I'm gay. And I, and I don't know how you're going to respond to that. And I'm like, well, I'm gay too. And you're the first person that I was in love with. Like, I know that I am. So it's the first time I've said it out loud. I'm saying it to the person that I had fallen in love with. And then she goes, you were the first person I fell in love with too. Crazy. That gives Crazy. Me chills. <laughs> yeah. And the problem was she had a girlfriend. So she was moving out of the old house. She had a new girlfriend and was moving in with a new girlfriend. So oh. this is unrequited love, right? Like mm -hmm. we didn't have any, like I couldn't do anything, right? So I'm crushed because the first person that I'm telling that I'm in love with is in love with someone else, right? It's no longer me. And so I kind of freaked out for a minute because I'm saying this to a person for the first time at Cal, 17, and I don't really know what it all means. And then the person I'm telling it to is no longer the person that wants to be with me. So I'm like, that sucks. So like a couple of days later, she borrows her friend's Jeep to drive over to see me. I'm in Clark Kerr in the dorms and she meets me and she drives me up in the hills and we finally start talking. And I just was like, I, can I at least just hold your hand? So I, la I literally just asked if I could hold her hand because I was like, I need to feel connected to you. I feel lost without you in my world. Like I was that much in love with this person who was three years old than me. And she's like, She's like, yes, but she's like, you need to understand, I can't do anything with you. And I'm like, I know that. And then we end up talking and she drives me back and I go to give her a hug and she kisses me. And I was like, this is my first kiss. Yeah. And she kisses me and I'm like, you're going to get in trouble for that. Knowing that she kissed someone else. Like, and, and so it was, it was this crazy story. We were never girlfriends when I was 19, we ended up sleeping together for the first time, four years after when I first met her. Mm -hmm. And it was a one-time thing. And it wasn't, it was, we were both single 
but it, we never were girlfriends. And that was my experience of coming out where everybody knew that I was in love with someone who wasn't in love with me and kind of played with me and toyed with me in my head a little bit. Um, so that experience of coming out and figuring out that I was gay was really internal. And I went to therapy. I took myself to therapy. I was like, how am I going to tell my family? My mom's going to disown me. Um, so when you talk about mindset, it was knowing at a really young age, how different I felt and feeling completely isolated, but needing to seek out community. I knew that I could find a bookstore. I knew that I could find someone to talk to. So I found an LGBTQ group on campus and after practice and whatever, like I would tell people I was going to study at a coffee shop and I went to therapy and was going to gay peer groups because I was afraid to tell my teammates, even though I knew there were a couple of teammates that were openly gay, I wasn't at this point. And I was trying to figure out how to tell my parents because I was afraid if I told them, because partial scholarship at that time, right? And I was like, well, if they disown me, I don't want them to hold money over my head. So I need to tell them. And I need to figure out how to pay for my education if my parents disown me. Like I literally had to go through this thought process at 17. Yeah. And so after about six months of going to therapy and reading books and trying to figure out what in the world lesbian meant, um, I, my dad came to see me, we went to sushi and I was like, pop, I got to tell you something. And he's, I think I was freaking him out. Cause you're, you're panicking, right? Like you're like wanting to tell someone something and you're afraid. And I was like, I think he thinks I'm going to tell him I'm pregnant or I'm dropping out of school. One of the two, right? <laughs> and neither of them are the, the case. Right. And I'm like, pop, I'm gay. And he just looked at me and he goes, I don't really know what that means, but you're my daughter and I love you. Wow. And I'm like, oh, I went yeah. to there six months and you tell me you love me and I'm sobbing on my sushi, you know? I'm like, oh. so it was just this crazy, like internal drive to protect myself that, so I don't know where that mindset really came from other than fear. I was just trying to protect myself of, mm -hmm. from what I had witnessed other people go through, which was horrible, right? And the next words out of his mouth were, I won't tell your mother. Oh, really? Which was really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a really good plan. I didn't tell my mom until I was 26. But oh, okay. that, that's my, that's my like coming out story, coming out at Cal. There were times at, during that period of time in 1990 where AIDS epidemic was massive. My cousins died of, of AIDS. They were twin brothers. They're on the quilt and they had passed away one the, the, in 87 and then one in 89. So I was experiencing the backlash of what people felt about gay people. Um, the football team was notorious for beating the crap out of gay men. I was friends with a couple of the gay guys in our dorm. And um, one day, one of the guys chucked a chair across the cafeteria, almost hitting me to try to hit Ryan. And the guys protected me. And they're like, you almost hit Kimmy. Da, 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 da. I wasn't out to them. So they, they were just thinking I was walking with these two guys that were a couple and made them mad. So they beat the crap out of their buddy for almost hurting me, but it had nothing to do with being gay. Yeah. Right. So it's dangerous. There were times that it was dangerous. There are times I was dating someone and she was by herself walking in the city. She lived in San Francisco and she was walking a Safeway and someone tried to run her over the car because she was wearing a rainbow flag. Um, there, there's times where the football team would make comments about the gay people in sports and 
you know, the softball team had its own drama and everybody had their own drama. And one time I found out that someone had said something negatively about me and my teammate, Katie Anderson, love her to death. She's like, Kimmy's my teammate. I love her. And I couldn't care less if she's gay and you're not going to talk shit about her. So I had really good camaraderie with my teammates, which made me feel a lot better, but I still wasn't open in, in ways because I didn't have a girlfriend. People knew that I had been in love with someone, but I wasn't treated very well. And then I dated a few other people and it just never worked out. So I never really, I would fall in love with someone and they weren't right fit for me. So people saw me being two really negative dynamics. So Stacy Jewell, I think you know who she is with our, you know, Stacey. sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Stacy Finnerty um, now. Oh, there we go. Yeah. I know. Yeah. That. So Stace and I, we've known each other since we were 13. And even to this day, she's like, you know, watching you go through that process was so painful because you were hurt so badly by two people back to back that you had fallen in love with them, but they just mistreated you and they kind of led you on and they didn't treat you well and you were never really girlfriends, but they, they love the fact that you gave them attention. So my first, my coming out was really the safety net was always soccer. So mm -hmm. I think that, that that piece of knowing that the one place that I felt safe always was the soccer field. Do you, do you think that, I mean, so now you're a female coach of girls under what was the age again, 15? 16s and 14s. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. You know, fast forward 20 years later too, do you feel like some of the things you went through, you see players nowadays still go through and then are you able to help them through that? Like, is that part of what you do now? So let's do 30 years by the way. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm older than you. I'm like stuck in the, I'm like stuck in the early 2000s. I wish that I was your age. <laughs> I wish I was your age. I'm not your age. Um, so I started coaching when I was 18 at Bishop O'Dowd High School, um, which is hilarious. JT coached there. And, and when he, I was an assistant coach with that same person, it was, when he inherited it, he inherited a mess. Um, so I started coaching with them. And then when I moved to Michigan for graduate school, because there's no option no opportunity for female soccer players for me, even for the women who are on the national team, that's Fowdy and Joy and Brandy and, and all those players that I was playing against. I certainly wasn't at that level. So I knew that I had to go back to school. So there were no options for me for sport, for soccer after college. Mm -hmm. um, so when I went to grad school, one of my classmates had the forethought to say, hey, my daughter's 12. I feel she should have female influence as a coach. Do you coach? You've played soccer your whole life. I would love for you to coach, be an assistant coach with me with my girls. I coach you 13s. And I was like, never really thought about it. I don't know what I would need to do. I'm in grad school, you know, I, I, and he's like, you need to go get licensed, go get a state license. And this is what it entails. And I want you to be my assistant coach because this, look at where you came from, look at where you played, look at what you did. And that team had Lindsay Tarpley on it. I coached Lindsay when she was 12. So there were several players on that team that ended up playing in college and, and you know, obviously Lindsay being an Olympian and, and women's national team player. Um, I certainly don't get credit for how darn good that, that girl is, but um, by the time she was 16, she could kill me. She was so good. She was that type of player from mm -hmm. such a young age. Um, and so I started coaching then and was coaching all the way through Michigan. And I was always one of the men because there were no other female coaches. I got asked to coach the West Michigan boys ODP state team for a minute for the U14 boys team. And that was an interesting dynamic because the coaches 
were really cool about wanting women to help coach on the boys' side because they're like, look, men coach girls all the time. Boys need to have female influence too. So I was treated like an equal in that environment, which was kind of rare also. And then coming to Colorado with my jobs and careers and everything, I could no longer continue coaching. So I, I coached for 13 years during a period of time where I almost got outed and threatened to be fired. Um, when the guy that hired me with Lindsay's team, he knew that I was openly gay because we were classmates in our master's program. And he said, if something happens and you get outed, so it was expected that I stay in the closet. And then if I get outed, he would protect me because he knew that the parents would try to get me fired. So I had to stay in the closet in that environment. And it was hard because I didn't want to be. And I had a girlfriend at the time and that was difficult. And I ended up getting outed and I did get threatened with my job. Um, I also was a young coach and, and there are experiences. I, I wasn't good at certain things. So we went to Washington, DC, my girlfriend and her friends drove out to, to meet me and my roommate. And so there, it was really hard to separate personal from professional. And the kids went back to my hotel room when my girlfriend and her friends were in there and they had been drinking, even though the door was open. So there's all these dynamics that you would never do now that were happening back then of like, oh my gosh, kids are like, hey, can we go back and see your friends? I'm like, sure, you know, I'm standing with the parents, not thinking anything about the fact that they're adults, my girlfriend's an adult, but they're having, they're drinking, where now like people wouldn't think twice about someone having a glass of wine or a beer in front of their kids. But back then it was unacceptable, okay? And especially um, I was looked at as single and partying Mm -hmm. And then they put two and two together and they're like, oh, we don't want this influence. Not only is she partying, she's gay. So I got really, I literally had this massive backlash for a minute and I had to write a letter and apologize to the team. Um, he helped me keep my job. So this was what, this was 28 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then Colorado, um, I wasn't out to the kids. I wasn't out to anyone but like one or two parents. And they also said, don't come out to protect yourself. And when I had first moved to Colorado, I was fired from a restaurant for being gay. So I was experiencing really bad discrimination in varying ways, even though in some formats, the men treated me equally. It was very bizarre. So it's really, you never knew what you were gonna get. It's always this moving target. And so, you align with other female coaches. So in Colorado, there were a couple of my friends, some are gay, some are straight, and we all aligned with each other. And it was the only time that there were more than one female coach in 14 years or 13 years that I was coaching. Mm -hmm. And we're all roughly the same level, same age. Um, so we were friends. And then I had to stop coaching. Now that I'm here, um, some of those kids that I coached back then are in their thirties and have kids. Wow. <laughs> some of those kids that I coached back then are openly gay. And they've, they're still, they still talk to me and you know, all that kind of stuff. Several of the kids that I coach back in Michigan, I'm friends with now as adults, which is kind of cool. Um, some of them write to me now and they said, you know, thank you so much for being there for me. You helped me when I was coming out and you didn't even know it. You know, when you got outed, how you handled that was really important. You were proud of who you were. You were okay with being gay. You supported other people. And even though I didn't come out to you back then coach, I can be out and openly gay now. So, you know, that's, that's been cool this year. It, coaching in is a whole other animal. The club scene is so different. 
and the pay to play system is so skewed and I live in such an uh, affluent area and the expectation of parents is unreal. Mm -hmm. And then I work in an, in a club where they fired one of my colleagues who, you know, I introduced you to her and they sided with one of the guys, even though they know that the guy was in the wrong. So that was really painful to watch when I'm a brand new coach, watching this young female coach get fired. She was yeah. devastated. Then the only other female coach in the club is a higher license than me. And I wanted to learn from her because she was an ex collegiate coach, really, really phenomenal coach. And I wanted to learn more from her. And she was so sick of what she was experiencing with her club. She quit. She brought her team to another, another club which then decimated the age group that I was in. So now that team is completely gone and I can't even coach that younger team right now. They're, they're gone. Yeah. So I'm the only female coach in the club that has a license and I have two national licenses. I have a C license and a national diploma and I get paid less than colleagues who have less licenses than me. I sadly think that is incredibly common. And like I told you right before we started this, like just finishing the movie LFG this morning that came out today, I like, I'm so pumped and fired up right now about all yeah. of it. So I would love to, you know, I know you probably can't go too in deep in depth on that, but I do think that is so common. Yeah, I negotiated a race. So here's the thing. They were like, well, you haven't coached for about 13 years. I go, but my total amount of coaching is 13 years. This will be my 14th year of coaching. Mm -hmm. I was a family therapist for seven years. I've worked with children the majority of my life. I have a clue, right? Mm -hmm. I, yes, I need to know and obviously improve my skills. Everybody needs to improve their credentials or everybody needs to continue education. I have no problem with that, but I don't feel that I should be paid less just because I'm a, so obviously there's other factors that go into this. So I negotiated a raise. And then when that coach left, I now I'm paying less than what I was before because I went from two teams to one. So even though I had to fight for that and one of my colleagues, he's very, he and I are very close. And he, when I talk, he's an A license coach. So he gets paid differently. He's on the higher level teams. He has multiple teams. He gets paid. He can survive on his pay for coaching. Okay. I certainly cannot. This is my part-time job, right? And he goes, he, his words to me were, it's absolutely criminal how you're being treated in the club right now. When he said that to me, but I have no option to go to another club right now because all the clubs are in the same boat. They're all doing the same dynamic. They're all doing that where one, one coach takes a team and then he negotiates by taking that team to another club and they fight for each other, same pool of kids, right? Mm -hmm. I refuse to treat kids that way, especially young women. I coach the lower level team. The majority of these kids may or may not make varsity by the time they're juniors and seniors. Several of them will probably not play in college, even though some have dreams of doing it, but they don't have the work ethic to get there. You and I can talk about that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my whole coaching experiment was COVID. So I can't even wrap my head around that process of what we've gone through and the hell that we've gone through with that and trying to keep my kids together. What is weird and positive is that I am openly gay. Families know that I'm gay. One of my kids came out, so she had a girlfriend. So she introduced, you know, her girlfriend to the team. This is not something that would have occurred 30 years ago, right? Totally. Um, and that um, they want to use they, them pronouns. And so it was important that that I identified and learned how to not misgender them 
in front of other people. And I started just calling my kids humans. I call them kids or humans. I don't call them by male or female. It's not, hey, ladies. It's not, hey, girls, right? Hey, humans, what's up? And, you know, being able to be playful and talkative and be able to share with them that she's not, or excuse me, that they're not alone, right? And that the other players on the team feel a part of that process and to support them through that process. So things have changed tremendously, um, but it's definitely being female is more of an issue than being gay. <laughs> that, that's actually, that was something I was thinking about. I hadn't asked it yet, but I do think, I think that's why when we talk about representation and how this plays a role in having a strong mindset as a person and all the things we learn through sport to, to get us a strong mindset, we have to use then in our life afterwards. And I think as women, like you just said, you know, it's super important. And as a gay woman, like it's super important. And so I think that's super fascinating. I'd love to hear more about, you know, how, why you feel that way. Because the patriarchy affects all of us. Everybody, everybody should want to be a feminist. What feminism is, is wanting equal rights for men and women. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. If we teach boys to be emotional and caring and loving and nurturing, why is that a feminine trait? Why wouldn't we want our young boys to grow up to be kind, caring, and loving men? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't we want them to be in a healthy, happy, nurturing relationship and know how to reciprocate that? Or for women to have opportunity and to be paid the same for the same job, right? That has nothing to do with my being gay. That has to do with me being female. Mm -hmm. So I feel the barrier to entry being a woman differently than I do being a lesbian. And part of that is because I can pass for straight. So I can do heteronormativity even inadvertently. I don't try to do it. But most people, when they meet me, when my hair's down and makeup's on and I'm in heels, they don't think that I'm a lesbian. My nails are done or whatever. They don't think that I'm gay. I outwardly tell people that I am. Mm -hmm. So with when I first met my club people, they didn't know I was gay. They mm -hmm. just saw me as a female coach. So, so because I don't fit butch femme stereotypes and I don't, I don't fit in that category, I guess, it skews people's perception, but then, so I, I face the male female dynamic long before I face the lesbian dynamic, but I'm still out in every arena. I've refused to go back in the closet because being asked to not be who you are is extraordinarily painful. And being gay is an invisible minority status compared to someone who's a person of color because you see color, right? You don't see someone's sexual orientation unless they're actively in a relationship or they outwardly tell you, mm -hmm. right? So I know a lot of heterosexual people who also do gender bending dynamics or they, they are more effeminate if they're male and they're still straight or vice versa with straight women who, who actually aren't gay, but they have different mannerisms, et cetera, that are more masculine. We're athletes. We see all kinds of people. So for me, I, I think that that being out and being open is the only way for me to again kind of advocate for myself and to help others as you always say you can't be what you can't see i don't ever want the kids to feel that there's something to hide 
I don't want to exhibit that there's something wrong with me being gay. There's nothing wrong with me being gay. So I don't want to hide it because if you teach children that you should hide something, it makes them feel that there's shame associated with that. Mm -hmm. I love people and I fall in love with women. That's just what is. There's nothing wrong with loving someone to the best of your ability. It's something we should teach people. So for me, being an advocate for gay rights is just as important for me being an advocate for anti-racism work or anti-Semitic work or, or wanting to make sure that people, like in the Interdependence Club, people who have different disabilities have access to activities and games and sport the same way that I do. So I think that the mindset and the tools and the, the camaraderie of sport and soccer has always given me that space to be myself. Mm -hmm. It's the only place that I could, but yet at the same time, you do face discrimination within our sport. It's massive old boys network. They don't want to give up their piece of the pie because they think it's earned that they earned it. And it's like, maybe, <laughs> maybe you didn't compete against us back then. We weren't even, we didn't even have a seat at the table, so to speak. Right. Totally. I, well, and I think like they just, um, the confidence that you have to have gone through all these different um, situations I think is is one commendable but two is this is why I feel like at female footballers we do what we do we want to present and show women like yourselves who have gone through hard times and, and come out on top of it and how there's such a positive impact that can be made when you do I mean even just this week I think his, his name's Carl Nassib right who came yeah, out yeah. openly came out gay in the NFL and the NFL supportive of that his jerseys went, it just spiked. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. his number one jersey sold. Um, I don't know stats on that. I'm not gonna yeah. say it perfectly. But my point is like, everyone before that would have said, oh God, don't ever do that. Don't mm -hmm. ever come out, it's the NFL. And then when you do and you see this positive response and I think more women like, whole point of you can't be what you can't see is the more we normalize the stories like you have and the experiences that you have. And, and it's so many women will come forward and say, oh my God, I." I have the same situation, right? And especially for the young girls listening, because I know we have some teenage girls that listen to this. Mm -hmm. Your story is only going to help those girls have the confidence to come out and see that, like, you know, they can be anything. I mean, even explaining, I'd love for you to also explain what you do now and how all of the mindset that you've had to overcome a lot of the adversity that you have plays a role in what you do now. So please mm -hmm. tell, tell the listeners what you do and, and how all of that has played a role in it. I like, I, I think that um, we're taught, this goes back to you and I as little girls, we're taught to go to school, to get good grades, to find a good man, to get married, to have kids, to have the 2.2 children on the right picket fence. Mm -hmm. The American dream is to go, go to school, get married, get a job and have kids. That's kind of what we're all taught. Well, when, when I was a little girl, I had to let go of the idea of what marriage was. It wasn't legal until five years ago to get married as a gay person. Okay. So I had to let go of that quote unquote dream at a really, really young age. And when I came out to my mom, one of the things she did say to me, which is painful, but she said it was like the death of a dream that I wouldn't live up to what she had expected. And I was like, you know, I had to let go of that dream as a little girl. I've been dealing with this for 30 years now. Like that is not my dream. So because my dream way back when 
was to play soccer as long as I could for as much as I could, the best of my ability. I never thought I was a good player. Look who I was competing against. You know, my last concussion, Brandy Chastain gave to me against Santa Clara. You know, like I played on the Sacramento Storm with Fowdy and Joy. I played with Leslie. I played, played with the best of the best. So I wasn't good in my mind. So this is important when I talk to my girls about mindset and what I do for a living. So I wanted to bring that into this is this confidence and work that I do now is because I wasn't confident then. I was afraid of my own shadow. I was petrified of, of the players I was playing against because they were so phenomenally good. When I got asked to play with the Tremors, Michelle Akers had already left at that point, but she was on this team. So it was Leslie Gallimore, Amy Allman, Joy Fawcett, Julie Foudy, Brandi Chastain, and then like four of my teammates, you know, and I'm playing with them. I'm a sub, you know, I played like 20 minutes in, in those games and you're playing against the best of the best. And so for me, I was just like, I'm good. I'm praying to God I can get on the soccer team. You know, um, I didn't have an ego. I was never arrogant. I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful that my parents didn't have a clue about soccer rather than she loves it. We'll pay for it. Thank God they could, yeah. you know, I didn't have to deal with some of that. So now when I, when I graduated, I had to go get a job. I was in that category. What am I going to do? So I became a therapist. I worked with kids. I worked with severely abused and neglected children. And talk about learning how big your bubble is and realizing how special your life is compared to the abuse that these children face. So I was that, that was one chapter of my life, right? And I had to leave that. So I leave the soccer world. That's a whole other animal of when and how I left that. And then I leave the therapy world and then I go into sales. And I'm like searching for this feeling of team. I missed it. I missed what soccer gave me. And being in sales was that competitive side, but I missed the camaraderie. I missed feeling like I was a part of something. And so I went from job to job, like every couple of years was like, I'm searching for something. I need to make some money. I'm not really satisfied, blah, 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 blah. And then finally I quit my job because of my nephew and built my own company and just said, I can't do this anymore. And I wanted to walk my talk. My nephew was like, you've supported me with everything, but you're miserable. Why, why do I want to follow what you're doing? You know, like, and I was like, oh my gosh, out of the mouths of babes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I quit my job and was like, I've got to build something that makes me feel like what soccer provided to me. And the only feeling that I've ever received that made me feel like what soccer gave, which was the ability to coach, the ability to train, the ability to work every day, the discipline that requires of being a business owner, of going to work even when you don't feel like it. Um, when you have employees and you must pay their paycheck is a very big responsibility. And feeling that feeling of when you're coaching kids that you're like, you know, I really want to bring this group of girls together, these players together, that they can, they can achieve something together. And the only thing that replicated that feeling of soccer for me was owning my business. That's it. And I built it all on soccer principles. You need the manager and the coach as much as you need the subs and, and the full-time players, right? And so I built my entire company based on soccer principles because I'd never taken a business class before. And so I just, I learned a lot. I hired business coaches, hired three different ones through my tenure of owning my company, one to help me start it, one to help me scale it, and one to help me sell it. And then 
when I sold it last year, two days before COVID hit, my world shifted again. So I've had this experience repeatedly of change and growth and abrupt change and growth, right? No longer competing, go into therapy, move to Michigan, no longer a therapist, move to Colorado, change my career, change my career again. And then all of a sudden, bam, I have to figure out how to put a roof over my head and pay my bills again, because I'm single. No one else can pay for me. Mommy and daddy, the bank of mommy and daddy ended when I was 18. You know, I don't have a partner, so I don't have a second income. So you have to figure it out. And one of my friends said to me a couple of years ago, she, she's really awesome. And she's like, I'm going to give you a nickname. And I'm like, what's that? Everybody has nicknames in soccer. And I have a bunch of them. What are you going to give me now? And she goes, courage. And I was like, Ooh, that's a big one. Right. Mm -hmm. She goes, you have more courage than most people. And I said, I don't know if it's courage or it's just, I have no other choice. Mm -hmm. You either do or you don't. And that's the part of the mindset piece too, of like, you either figure it out or you don't. And you just have to surround yourself with people who can help you get there, which is why I basically have now combined all of my career paths into my business coaching business practice now. So I love helping other people start their own companies, build their companies, scale their businesses. I love celebrating other people's successes. It's one thing to feel successful as a business owner and be able to say, I sold a company. That's, that's great. It's another to say that, that, that people that I've worked with are building or scaling or growing their businesses to see other people achieve their dreams. It's the same thing of, I was on both sides of the couch. I was a therapist and I go to therapy. I was a soccer player and a coach, been on both sides of the pitch. I've been on both sides of business of working for companies and being a business owner. And then now I help people build their own companies. And so I'm one of the few business coaches that I know that has that background of therapy, sport, and business ownership and combines that. And so when I started this, all the people who are interested in doing coaching with me, every one of them came from an athletic background. They're all former athletes because there's something about us that is different. And athletes make fantastic business owners. Mm -hmm. And instead of having corporate always chase after student athletes, which is what corporate does, I want people to go, hey, that's not the only path that I have. I don't have to leave my student athlete career or my professional athletic career, I can build a company, I can build a brand, I can do things to give back to my sport in a different way or, or a company or whatever. So that's what I do now is help people build their dreams and their goals and their businesses. And it's awesome. And you are really good at it because I've gotten <laughs> to work with you and I'm so impressed and you are like the most positive, upbeat person. And I'm sure our listeners can get that from this whole interview of just the perseverance, the courage, the confidence, the optimism, it's just all there. And it's, this is why I feel like when I was thinking about the theme of representation, like you're the first person that came to mind because not only do you represent all these, what we called uh, avenues or, or job titles or labels or whatever, but it's also, it's the mindset principles that you represent. It's the parts that we try to, mentor young girls with that you embody already and we're just so grateful to know you and learn from you <laughs> and I hope that everybody listens to this one because this there's so much here that we can unpack and and um I hope if you're a little girl listening that you identify with Kim's story if you're a parent listening 
that you hear just, you know, what your, your daughter is going to go through or is going through right now. And if you're a coach that you can, um, you know, feel her on many levels of being a female coach in a male dominated profession. And so thank you so much, Kim, for being on this. I can't thank you enough. This was awesome. Thank you for having me. I know we went a little bit over, but I tried to do my best to, uh, to at least oh, answer great. the best of my ability. So thank you for yeah, having we me. Have a lot. We, it's not like I didn't ask you to like, just tell me your whole life story. And <laughs> <laughs> I can talk to you for hours. We need to do that anyway. Same, same. Yes. Well, thank you so much. You bet.